Thursday edition. Welcome in, everybody. Mike Steely, Parker Thune. It is Steelman and Thune at noon, presented by, during our first hour, uh, last year Home Comfort Systems. Having AC issues right now? Many of you uh, might be having those because that AC is working overtime. And uh, Tim Lasher and his great company, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, they'll uh, take care of any issue that you need to have taken care of. 405-579-3113. That's 405 579 Thirty-one, thirteen. So, Parker, you were at Brent's uh, get-together with the media yesterday. What were your impressions of how it was handled, what he had to say, what was the tone like? Well, at a certain point, Brent was getting very irritated about questions that involved Kill Gundy because he, he started he said, the press conference saying we everything has been said that needs to be said. Yeah, he he did his best to shut it down up front. Uh, he could have been a little bit more explicit about it because the first six or seven questions that folks rattled off were in some way tied to the situation. Right, and uh, Brent kind of tiptoed around it as best he could, but at a certain point, he was just like, "Okay, can we talk about actual football?" Like, ask me about the players on the field. He was basically like, look, this is your chance to get some content out of me. So ask anything you want to ask, but let's talk about the team. So, yeah, and look, that's what journalists do, too. I mean, they may not ask directly about Cale Gundy in that situation, but in a roundabout way, they could uh, get him to talk about it. And he did. You know, he said that an Oklahoma program without Cale Gundy is not as strong, but they're moving on. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've been talking about uh, one of the big issues, probably the biggest issue moving forward and why Cale Gundy isn't at Oklahoma anymore. And it's a sad deal. Everybody hates it. But recruiting ramifications, right? Uh, recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. If you're having to answer that question, how did this happen? Why is the guy still there if Cale Gundy had stayed on staff? Those were difficult minefields for that entire coaching staff to navigate. I mean, it wasn't going to, you know, be a very positive thing, you know, for years to come. So I think a lot of people, even though they're sad about Cale Gundy and some may still be upset, but they know it's it's really time to move on because nothing's going to change. But at the same time, uh, I do think that, you know, uh, people are wondering about, you know, is this going to be a galvanizing moment for this team I tend to think it 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 probably is just as the way that they operate over there that I don't see this team falling apart that doesn't mean they're going to go to Lincoln and win by three touchdowns doesn't mean they're going to go roll over Texas in the Cotton Bowl but I still have a good positive feeling about this football team and again when you think about recruiting what have we been talking about the one issue that people started to worry about right off the bat was Jaquay's Petaway and he came out and said, I'm good. And that's that's big, I think, as well. Well, when you're talking about a top 100 prospect, your top commit at the wide receiver position and a guy whose love for Oklahoma was sparked initially by the relationship with Cale Gundy, yeah, there was understandably some concern right off the bat that he might waver in his commitment. But, uh, again, as we had talked about earlier in the week, Mike, Gundy was not the only relationship that Petaway had at Oklahoma. The Sooners were very proactive in reaching out to him immediately after the Gundy resignation. He got in touch with LaDamian Washington. Obviously, Jackson Arnold was in his ear the whole time. And last night, he puts out the tweet, Ain't going nowhere, so there's your answer. Jaquay's Petaway's sticking, and that's nothing but good news for Oklahoma. The fact that they're going to emerge from this 
uh, no worse from the wear in terms of recruiting and in terms of their haul at the wide receiver position in the 2023 cycle is pretty remarkable because you would figure when something like this goes down, you're going to lose a guy or two. Yeah. That's how it would be for most programs. But fortunately, uh, again, to rehash what Bob Stoops proclaimed last November 29th, there's no one guy bigger than the program, and Oklahoma did an outstanding job of communicating that right off the bat to Jaquay's Petaway. Yeah, and, and I think, again, we're never going to really know how much impact this had because there may be a kid out there that could have visited Oklahoma that's not going to visit Oklahoma. We, I mean, we still don't know for sure, but uh, so far I think this staff, they've done a really good job of putting out the fire. Uh, maybe that fire is, is smoldering a little bit. You still get a little smoke around the, the campus, but it's not the raging inferno that it could have been had this not been handled uh, swiftly and uh, pretty decisively by, uh, by the coaching staff and uh, particularly by Brent Venable. So I do think, again, as you said, it is uh, really, really pretty amazing that right now you're still looking at Oklahoma with those 19 commitments and uh, nothing has changed there. And that's very important. Texas got a big commit yesterday. That's right, Cedric Baxter. We talked about that for a couple months as something that was on the verge of happening after Arch Manning pledged in late June. Longhorns are going to have themselves a nice little class, Mike. There's no two ways about that. Now the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? Because it's not the first time, nor will it be the last, that Texas signs a good recruiting class. Yeah, that's always been the question, it seems like, uh, for Texas. Uh, the Sooners, by the way, dropped to number seven. LSU moves up to number six in the 247 ratings. But again, keep in mind, this weekend, Jacoby Johnson, the Mustang standout, is expected to announce for Oklahoma. So that'll put the Sooners at 20, and they should go uh, past LSU, you would think, uh, with that Jacoby Johnson commitment. And there are more to come. Again, uh, end of the month, Makari Vickers, Anthony Evans expected to announce for Oklahoma. And you think there's a possibility that something could happen in between the uh, Jacoby Johnson commitment and the commitments coming from Vickers and Evans, right? I do, and I'm not necessarily saying I would count on it, but I think there are some guys that Oklahoma's in the mix for that I can see pushing up their commitment. And I I want everybody going to Twitter to say, oh, Parker says a surprise commit is coming in mid-August. No, I'm just saying stay vigilant because you could see something develop out of nowhere, especially the way that this staff is recruiting. You could see something materialize, the likes of what we saw with Colton Vosick, where in the span of 72 hours, he goes from little to no interest in Oklahoma relative to the other schools in his recruitment to committed to Oklahoma. This staff's done fantastic work, and I expect that to continue throughout the months of August and September in particular. Yeah, right now, uh, national team rankings uh, for 247, Notre Dame number one, Bama number two. Texas slides into the three spot. Ohio State slips to four, Georgia five, LSU six, and Oklahoma seven. But keep in mind, another commitment coming for the Sooners uh, this Saturday in the form of uh, Jacoby Johnson, the kid from Mustang. Uh, can we hear from the Bob Father just to kind of again wrap this? We haven't been talking, uh, you know, about it really, but the Bob Father told everybody Bob Stoops to move on the other day, and I think that's what people are doing now. You know, he may be a first-year coach, but that guy's been around for over 25 years, three Hall of Fame coaches between Snyder, myself, and Dabo Sweeney. So he knows what kind of program he wants and the culture he wants, and you got to trust him with that. 
and then, you know, on the, the player's behalf. It's our job as coaches, as professionals, to in a positive way, you know, help those players improve in that room. So, you know, the very best way for everybody, all these parties, every everybody involved to move forward, you know, what for even the fan base to move forward is to have a degree of understanding for everything, for all parties, and to let it go and then move forward because it isn't going to change. It is what it is. It's unfortunate. It's sad. It kills me. But, you know, but, but again, you know, again, there is no good position on this. It, you just have to move forward. Soundtrack courtesy of the great Mike Steele. There you go. The Bob Father speaks, and I feel like we, we've taken many steps in moving on from this. It is, uh, you know, it was, it was hard for Sooner Nation to do that because Cale Gundy, uh, again, has given so much to the University of Oklahoma. But, again, um, you know, things happen. Unfortunate things happen. And uh, now Oklahoma's thinking about their opener with UTEP. Uh, then they have Kent State. Then they have to go to Lincoln for that game against Nebraska, which is going to be very interesting. And uh, Brent did say the the next portion of practice is going to get even more difficult, right? That's right. I was I was kind of surprised because he seemed very authoritative in the way that he was saying it. These next ten days are going to be the toughest ten days of the whole season, and you could tell he meant it too. It wasn't just like he wasn't hyperbolizing, right? He's like, okay, yep, these guys better be ready because the next 10 days are going to challenge them more than any 10-day window that they're going to face all season. Wow. That's saying a lot. All right. By the way, uh, real quick, I'm just going to jump the gun and get right to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. From the 913, you broke my heart, Fredo. Uh, and from the 405, is it possible that Petaway will leave because of Gundy? Wow, we just, ta- we, just uh, we talked about They it. must be tuning in for the first yeah, time, yeah, yeah. and they must also use Internet Explorer. Uh, to- <laughs> Netscape. <laughs> <laughs> to bring you up to speed, no, Jaquez Petaway is not going anywhere. Yeah, we, we just talked about that, and don't mean to give you a hard time. You just tuned in, but you obviously tuned in late because we said big news for Oklahoma is Jaquez Petaway. Uh, said, I'm good, I'm solid. So he's still solidly in Oklahoma's camp now with the 19 commitments that they have and the number seven recruiting class in the country. All right, we have a couple good guests today. We've got Jesse Crittenden, Norman Transcript Sports Editor at the Presser yesterday. We'll talk to him about it. TJ Eckert, KTUL-TV in Tulsa, also coming up on the Riverwind Casino Hotline today. Yes, it is time to roll with the changes. There is no doubt. Stay with us here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans here on a Thursday. Thursday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, The Ref Radio Network. Good to have you with us. Thanks again to Tim Lasher and his great company. Lasher Home Comfort Systems, 405-579-3113. Let's talk about the curious case of Justin Harrington. We didn't think that Justin Harrington was going to be playing again at Oklahoma, but he uh, made his way back to the Sooner roster, has opened some eyes. He's always been a guy that looks like, man, that guy looks like he could be a monster back there in the secondary. Good size, good speed, uh, and apparently he is making an impact out there as well. And once again, we, we thought that Justin Harrington was done at Oklahoma, and uh, maybe we've got a uh, – a new chapter like uh you know maybe this is like uh you know the the rocky two 
uh, for Justin Harrington? What are we thinking about what's going on with him right now? Well, look, going back to last season, rewinding to 2021 for Justin Harrington, there were a lot of folks that were very upset for his sake that he elected to enter the transfer portal when he did. Because as you'll recall, it was, I believe, the Thursday of Kansas State Week, which was the week that directly preceded OU Texas uh, and that instant classic. But at the time, the Sooners were banged up in the secondary. Uh, Delarian Turner-Yell was out. He missed that Kansas State game. Uh, re- I, I, he came back for one play, one play against Texas, aggravated that injury on the 75-yard opening play touchdown by Xavier Worthy, and then he missed several more games. But uh, that just kind of underscored the situation for Oklahoma in terms of attrition in the defensive backfield. There were some legitimate questions at that point as to who was going to step up and be any semblance of an answer for Oklahoma in the secondary. If you recall, that Kansas State game, Jordan Mukes saw the field quite a bit. Yeah, he did. And... Look, no knock on Jordan Mukes. He's an outstanding football player. But uh, he was not ready for that moment. And there was one play in particular in which he got toasted down the field against Kansas State. It was just – it was a freshman moment, right? It was a moment where you would have liked to have somebody on the field with a little bit more experience that was a little bit more familiar with the defensive scheme. So at the time, Justin Harrington's decision to enter the transfer portal surprised a lot of folks – because it appeared as though there was going to be a window for him to kind of stick his elbows out and make a niche for himself in Oklahoma's defensive backfield. Uh, Obviously, there were no takers when he hit the transfer portal, which is kind of surprising, honestly. Because you think a guy that was as highly regarded as he was coming out of JUCO with his frame and physicality would at least get a look or two. That was not the case. And so Justin Harrington had nowhere to go but back to Oklahoma. And for the longest time, the coaching staff was not willing to give him a second chance because at the time, what Venables was preaching and what he still is preaching uh, is it's it's not exactly an us-against-the-world type of mentality, but, hey, you're either in or you're out, right? And for Justin Harrington, he chose to abandon the program midseason. That was not received well by Brent Venables and that new staff. And... From talking to a lot of people within the program, Harrington was always a guy, and you don't you don't have to be a road scholar to see this. He was always a guy that had a very very high ceiling, mm-hmm. but he just needed a wake up call. And yeah. I think being stuck in the transfer portal black hole for six months and realizing almost like almost giving in, coming to the point where he eventually almost had to concede that his football career was over and then getting that lifeline from Brent Venables and the staff, it seems that that was the wake-up call he needed because from the things that I heard about him towards the end of spring ball and now at the beginning of fall camp, that is a guy that's going to seriously contend for playing time and a lot of it. And he earned his way back onto the team. They didn't make it easy. They didn't roll out the red carpet for him to come back. They took away his scholarship. Yeah, they said, man, you know, you can come back, non-scholarship player. You've got to earn your way back on the roster and do our good graces. And based on what you're hearing – uh, the way he's been performing out there at practice, you're right. He uh, he is in the line to get some playing time. He might be one of those guys you look at and, you know, a case study of how a player turns out and how close he gets to reaching 
his potential under the previous staff versus this Brent Venable staff, right? Justin Harrington might be one of the first guys you think about. What do you think? Who else fits in that in that category? No, I I agree with you. I think Harrington's got to be one of those guys for me. Marcus Stripling has to be one of those guys for me. Uh, I think Stripling was a guy that, much like Harrington, and this wasn't as conspicuous because he never hit the transfer portal, but that was a guy that was going to hit the transfer portal at season's end if things hadn't gone down the way they did at Oklahoma. If the current coaching staff had stayed, Marcus Stripling would be somewhere else right now. And much like Harrington, I talked just a moment ago about how Harrington needed a wake-up call, and he needed some reorienting uh, to get him laser-focused on football. Strip was kind of in the same boat, and you saw flashes of his potential at times. But I think in 2022, especially with Nick Benito out the door, Strip is one of those guys that really has an opportunity to shine more so than he has in the past, not only because of how gifted he is, but because of how focused he is. And we talked to Miguel Chavis about him last week. And Chavis said, look, this is a guy that has done everything the right way this offseason. He's reshaped his body. He's looking like a monster. And if you've seen some of the plays that Marcus Stripling has made over the past couple of years, if you extrapolate that and you take into account what he will do with an increased snap count, especially based upon everything uh, that's all the reports that are coming out of camp, how much better he looks compared to years past, Strip is a guy that can do some things in 22. And so him and Justin Harrington, I think, are two of the guys specifically on the defensive side of the football that I look at uh, as kind of having a new lease on life and one that I believe they will both steward quite well in 2022 under Brent Venables. All right, since we uh, we were talking about Justin Harrington and the defensive backfield, uh, what about that second cornerback? Because I think everybody, you can put Woody Washington at one. What about yes. the battle for that second corner spot? Man, it's interesting. It really is. Because there are about four or five guys that I could realistically see playing opposite Woody Washington. And you're right, there's absolutely no question – Woody Washington is going to be your number one cornerback. But who is the second guy? Is it Kenai Walker? That's kind of who I favor right now. But Jaden Davis is another. I need to throw Jaden Davis right in there with Marcus Stripling and Justin Harrington because Jaden Davis is rejuvenated. That's another guy that would have transferred if the old staff had stayed. But if you recall, when he was a high school prospect, uh, his recruitment came down to Oklahoma and Clemson. He chose the Sooners over Brent Venables and the Clemson Tigers. So when Venables came in, boom, perfect fit for Jaden Davis to unlock some of the potential that the former staff simply hadn't unlocked. He played his best football as a true freshman, and ever since then, it seemed like you saw a steady decline in his level of play. But he looks refreshed, and he's going to contend for snaps. Joshua Eaton is a guy that, to be honest, I didn't really expect to be in this conversation, but I've heard really good things about him. C.J. Colden, the transfer from Wyoming, has played more football than anybody in that defensive backfield, save for Trey Morrison, probably. And is there anybody I'm leaving out at that point? I think it's going to be those four that you're looking at as the primary competitors for that other cornerback spot opposite Woody Washington. Again, I give the edge to Walker right now. 
But I think you're splitting hairs at this point in camp, and I'll be very interested to see how that battle unfolds over the next three weeks. Yes, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, again, some of the other players, somebody mentioned on the Air Comfort Solutions text line that uh, Jalen Redmond might be another one of those guys to see how he flourishes under Brent's system versus the previous coaching staff. And a lot of what's happened with Jalen Redmond is, you know, illness, injury. We've never seen, it seems like, a full healthy season out of Jalen Redmond because when he's been out there, he's been very productive. There is no doubt about that. He can get after the quarterback. All right. Uh, by the way, Anthony Evans. We talked about Anthony Evans in the first segment. If you're just joining us, and uh, yeah, I completely neglected to mention DJ Graham, and several people hit the text line immediately to correct me. Thank you. Uh, I don't know how I spaced on him. He only had the greatest, all people. The greatest pick in Sooner is the guy well, that is maybe Torrance Marshall. The guy actually, that is literally Teddy. the incumbent at that position. My gosh, that was a major brain lapse by me. We literally got like twelve texts simultaneously, name dropping DJ Graham, and DJ Graham is an outstanding individual, outstanding football player. Uh, if he's listening, uh, apologies, DJ. I don't know how I forgot about you, but. DJ Graham is going to be right there in the thick of it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I will be interested but to see But you feel like Woody that, but... is a guy that's 100%. Oh, yes. DJ yes. Graham would be very much in the mix and maybe the favorite there or among the favorites, no doubt. But it looks like they're going to have good depth there and, and quality depth as well. Which is, and you mentioned Trey Morrison, the uh, came through the portal for North Carolina. He's played yeah, corner and safety, right? That, guy, that guy's kind of super glue to a certain extent because he's played all three positions in the secondary, right? And so I don't, I don't know if he's an immediate starter, or at least not a full time starter. But he's one of those guys where you know you see play start to slip. You see one guy uh, start to squander his opportunity a little bit. Boom! Plug Trey Morrison in and. Fix a flat, almost. There you go. I should have helped you out, too. It's on me also. I was getting a text uh, from somebody. Yeah, so, it's just, I, man. It happens. It happens. Idiot moment. It happens. All right. Uh, let's take a timeout right here. want to thank again uh, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, 405-579-3113. We do have Jesse Crittenden. Does a great job for the Norman Transcript. Their sports editor, always a good guest, always has a good uh, take on what's going on. Uh, with Sooner football and everything else, but obviously we're going to be talking uh, Sooner football when we get back. That's what we do around here. That's why we're the home of Sooner fans. We are the Ref Radio Network, and we're coming right back. Okay, we're back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman, and Thune at noon here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Good to have you along on uh, this Thursday edition. We go to the Riverwind Casino Hotline, 405-329-9000. Jesse Crittenden, Norman Transcript Sports Editor, joins us. Jesse, thanks for your time. How surprised were you about 1045 Sunday night when uh, the story broke on the Cale Gundy situation? And uh, what's your take been on uh, you know the days that have followed since that uh, shocking announcement again of Cale resigning Sunday night? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think I was, you know, just like a, a lot of people, uh, just really stunned. Not only, um, obviously, that it, that it was Kel Gundy that it was res- that was resigning, but the, but the timing of it all with with fall camp underway and uh, and the season opener less than a month away. And I mean, it, it's you know, I just don't think that's. I don't think you could have predicted anything like this would would happen. And and really, I think it was so surprising because the last few months. 
uh, since Brent Venables got back into town have been, I mean, it's been smooth sailing. It's, it's been kind of like a prolonged uh, honeymoon, you know, for this entire staff and, and for this program. So, I mean, I, I think stunned and especially when it came out, I mean, late Sunday night. And so, I mean, I, I think when we, you know, when we went to practice on Monday and I mean, we, we saw, I mean, it was a pretty emotional practice. I mean, with, with players really going at each other, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of, you know, small, um, scuffles. I think, I think players feeling really emotional either about, you know, what happened or the fact that Kale's gone. I mean, he has so many, uh, relationships with these players. He's recruited so many of them. And so, um, you know, I, I think I was, I was, curious to see how the program would respond um, to something like this. I mean, this is one of the bigger things that could happen before the season starts. So, you know, we, we've gone, we've gone to a couple of practices since then. Yesterday's was, was definitely a little bit more even keeled. Um, definitely a little bit more status quo. Uh, and, you know, obviously Brent Venables met with media yesterday and it wasn't uh, particularly interested in talking about, you know, everything that happened and, and his focus has been on moving forward. So, I think this program's trying to do the best they can to move forward, but I mean, I think this is certainly going to be a cloud that hangs over the program at least, at least for a little bit. Now, take the pulse of the fan base here, Jesse, because obviously the vast majority of these fans ride or die with Brent Venables, but so many of those same folks ride or die with Cale Gundy. And we haven't heard from Joe Harris. We haven't heard from Joe Castiglione. To this point, it kind of feels like, or at least it seems like to the outside observer, a war of words between Brent Venables and Cale Gundy on social media. At least that's how it was portrayed in the aftermath via the statements that were released. So what do you think the consensus in the court of public opinion is as far as how Brent Venables has handled this situation and how Oklahoma in general has handled this situation? Uh, Yeah, I think this has been kind of a unique thing when it comes to how it's been perceived. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, I think Brent Venables has been a a superstar since he arrived in Norman. And and I think there are, you know, a lot of fans that want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Kel Gundy's, I mean, he's one of the few guys I think that were in that program that, you know, his status was was about as even as, as Brent Venables. And at the very least, I think there were, there were some fans that wanted to hear um a little bit more as far as to what exactly happened you know when it happened what happened after that you know did, you know did the administration get involved uh how involved were the players in any of those discussions did the team you know did the staff meet because i mean this is a pretty big deal and and also not to mention that the that the statements between you know, you know, Brent Venable's second statement and Kale Gundy's original statement differed a little bit in terms of what exactly happened. Brent Venable's mentioned, you know, that you know that a racial slur had been uttered multiple times, and 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 Kale Gundy, you know, implied that it was only once. So, I mean, I think, I think there were some people that really were curious as to you know getting more details, considering the differences in those. Um, in those stories, so you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not completely surprised that that Brent Venables didn't want to harp too much um, about what happened. But I do think there were some fans that were a little disappointed yesterday that that we didn't get more information, um, you know, as far, as far as public statements. And and I don't think this is going to be enough to you know for you know a lot of the fan base to turn against them. Like I mentioned, I think there's still going to be. You know, people who are going to give Brent Venables the benefit of the doubt. The season hasn't even started yet. But I do think this was kind of a unique situation in terms of, you know, this happening to the program under Brent Venables and the way it's 
the way it's kind of been perceived and all the things that have been floated out since it all happened. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it has been kind of a weird thing. Jesse Crittenden is with us. Norman Transcript Sports Editor Mike Steely Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune at noon here on the uh, Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Okay, uh, Brandon's been talking culture, and look, just about every coach talks about culture and what they're going to do and what they believe in and all of that stuff. But really, Brent has uh, has hammered on that theme since day one: accountability, all that stuff, the kind of men they want to produce, not just football players. Uh, and I know you're going to press conferences and you're getting to see some practices. We didn't see hardly any of those with the previous staff because of Muleshoe's paranoia. But when you're there, can you sense that shift that he's talking about, that he's wanting to produce? Or do we have to wait into the season? What, what are you seeing and are you feeling that already when you're over there? Yeah, I, I think, <clears throat> like you mentioned, culture has been such a big thing that's been – um, that's been harped on, and, and I, I wrote something about that a couple of days ago, just trying to sort of explain everything that's happened within the last week and, you know, the way Brent Venables has approached this. And the reality is um, that, when it, you know, that when it comes to the culture of this program, you know, he's, he's really trying to enforce, like you mentioned, accountability and the idea that, that everybody's got to be raised, you know, everybody's got to be evaluated to the same standard, and, and maybe even with the coaches, it's got to be higher. So, you know, I, I, I do think, I mean, that's been the number one thing he's harped on more than anything else, which I think is what has made, you know, some, some people excited, you know, to actually get to, you know, the football games and to see what happens on the field. But that's what I think, I think the differences between Monday's practice and Wednesday's practice were, were pretty apparent in terms of, I mean, you, you can't help if some of these players are, are feeling a little emotional about, you know, everything that's happened. But on Wednesday, it's got to be, you know, business as usual, it's got to be moving forward. And that's, that's been another thing Brent Venables has, has harped on is not worrying about the past, not feeling entitled because of the success of this program and, and nobody's bigger than the program. Right. So um, I, I definitely think you notice that. And even from a media perspective, you know, getting to go to these practices for, you know, for 40 minutes is just such a, and, and actually getting to see things that happen, getting to see real drills and getting to see, you know, players, you know, kind of going at each other, you, you do get a better sense of what goes on day to day. And I, and I honestly think that's a part of the culture too, when it, when it comes to uh, the way the media are involved. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of things you can point to in, in terms of the differences between, you know, Lincoln Riley and, and Brent Venables. Now, Jesse, the Sooners' first two games of non-conference play just aren't going to be much of a measuring stick. UTEP and Kent State are by no means doormat programs, but they're not on Oklahoma's level in terms of depth, in terms of talent, in terms of resources and leadership. So, that said, those two games precede a very pivotal road contest with Nebraska on September 17th, which we have talked about a lot this offseason. In your mind, what does Oklahoma have to do? What do they have to accomplish in those first two games, whether that is objective or subjective, for you to feel really good about where this team stands heading into that contest against Nebraska? That's a good question, and I, and I kind of, you know, not trying, you know, not trying to compare everything to the previous administration, but looking at looking at last year, uh, you know, I remember that game against Tulane where. You know, Oklahoma, you know, they pull away, you know, get to a big lead by halftime, and in the second half just fall um, incredibly flat. So I think the surprising thing, you know, it wasn't just that the game ended up being really close and Tulane 
had a, a real chance to win that game, but it was the fact that Oklahoma just fell apart in the second half in a way that we don't see. So I, I think for these first two games heading into Nebraska, I mean, they're both home games, and, and these you know these two teams aren't. You know they're not they're not Division two, Division three. You know nothing programs like you mentioned. They, they you know they've had you know there's some decent success there in the conferences that they're in. But I, I think for me it's it's not it's not so much about you know Oklahoma should come in and, and blow out these teams within the first five minutes and make them no contest. But I think what what you'd like to see is you know just some consistency in terms of focus and effort you know for for all four quarters which was something we didn't see last year so even if these games aren't incredible blowouts can you see can you see real effort on the field can you see real cohesion in terms of game plan in terms of strategy and things like that so i think if you can get into nebraska feeling like yeah i mean maybe you know it's a new team it's a new staff there's things to work on but if you can see, you know, a, a real concrete plan in terms of how this team wants to play and being focused for all four quarters, I mean, I, I really think that's going to be the big thing, uh, you know, against these two teams that you should beat. Can, can you beat these teams like you should and do it in a way that you should? Jesse, good stuff. We appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Jesse Crittenden, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. By the way, if you want to go to the OU Nebraska game and maybe maybe your budget's a little bit tight and, you know, in previous years maybe you would have been able to go if, you, if you're thinking about how can I get there, one of the ways you can do that is participate in the Battle of the Big Reds promotion out at Riverwind Casino. You can also win your share of $50,000 during this great promotion. Play with your Riverwind wild card again, and then they're going to tally up all the points you can get on your wild card coming up uh, this Sunday, August 14th. They're going to have, again, the announcement of the top five patrons who earn the most points during the promotion, and they'll be awarded a trip to the Oklahoma-Nebraska game valued at $2,400, plus you're going to get $1,000 in cash. That game going to be huge in Lincoln September 17th, and you could be there by being one of the top five point earners, one of the top five patrons in this promotion, the Battle of the Big Reds happening right now at Riverwind Casino. And the uh, final tally of all the points is coming up uh, again Sunday, August 14th. So make sure you're out there playing with your wild card, getting your points. And maybe you'll be headed to Lincoln, courtesy of our friends at Riverwind. All right, we are going to be back. We'll go straight to the Air Coverage Solutions text line next, right here on the home of Sooner fans, the ref. Headed down the stretch here on our first hour, Steelman and Thune at noon, home of Sooner fans on the Ref Radio Network. Uh, Patrick, man, I agree with you. Patrick said uh, it feels like the Oklahoma State game, the Bedlam game, was like two years ago. Does this seem like the longest offseason in the history of uh, football to you? Because I feel the way Patrick does on the text line, the Air Comfort Solutions text line. I feel quite the opposite, Steve. Really? I feel like this offseason has flown by. Now, I will say this. It does feel like that Oklahoma State game was forever ago, but it also seemed like that Oklahoma State game was forever ago a week after it happened. So... Yeah, that true. really hasn't shifted my perspective. There's just been so much, man. There's it's been a roller coaster. We've been on a roller coaster, uh, and you know the roller coaster was really fun for a long time, right? I mean, when Mule Shoe left, it was you know there was anger. There's still some anger. That anger is going to persist for a long time. But then Brent got in, you know, particularly when recruiting picked up, and July was unbelievable. I mean, this was a fun roller coaster ride where everybody's enjoying it, and then the roller coaster stopped. 
Sunday night at like 1045, and now it feels like the momentum is coming back. But I, I it does feel to me like, you know, look, Oklahoma fans, I, I don't care who you're a fan of, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, whoever, it always feels like, you know, college football will never get here. And then it feels like it's here and gone in many ways. But I, I don't know, man. I'm just ready to play football. I'm ready to play football and quit quit thinking about all this stuff. And let's just get some games going and see what this new Oklahoma team looks like. Somebody was asking on the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line, is Anthony Evans um, – and we talked about Anthony Evans earlier. We still think he's going to be in Oklahoma's camp by the end of August. What about any news about him maybe starting to trend to Georgia? There's some growing confidence in the Georgia camp about Anthony Evans. Uh, I still feel confident about where Oklahoma stands in that race right now. We're still, what, two weeks from the finish line on his recruitment. So there could be another wrinkle or two. But as of right now, I believe Oklahoma is going to be the destination. Uh, also from the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. One listener says, I miss half your show Googling up Parker's words. <laughs> Go ahead and Google it up. Okay. Another says, okay, you want to know the impact Venables has had? I was planning on watching this season from my couch in my air-conditioned house in front of my big screen TV. But my girlfriend called me out and was like, coach said we need to show up no matter who we're playing. So now I'm buying tickets in the nosebleed section for UTEP. That's wife material right there. There you Steely. go, right there. There you go. That's that's a keeper right there. I remember the uh, UTEP game, uh, you know, in the uh, that championship season. Uh, and man, that was a you were in a crock pot at that game. I mean, it was it was super hot, and things turned out pretty good for that Oklahoma team that year. Bobby from Austin said, need to figure out this song that plays before the Rush's second segment. It's been stuck in my head all day. It's a guitar riff only with drums kicking in on the end. Phonetically, it's like, I can't even follow that anymore. I'm sorry, Bobby from Austin. We'll we try, Bobby. We'll, we'll try to get you an answer on that. Uh, Edric Hill, oh, you are Alabama. Which way is he leaning? Alabama right now uh, looks like the safe bet. And I, I'm not sure whether Oklahoma can turn the tide at this point, no pun intended. Uh, Kendall says, interesting, Jesse mentioned there was a few scuffles during practice Monday. Something you didn't read on the interweb. Well, Kendall, I mean, there are scuffles at practice every single day. That's real. I mean, if if you wanted to hear about all the scuffles that happened during practice, it would be a pretty extensive list because, look, these guys are going at it. They've just got pads back on for the first time. It's 100 They're plus raring degrees, to go. Now, you know. Look, every so I, there were there were a couple scuffles on Monday that that actually required some breaking up, but for the most part, it's just a little extracurricular after a snap or a rep. On Monday, there was this one instance where Jaden Gibson basically decided to fight the whole secondary, and the coaches had to get involved and separate them, as did a couple of the elder statesmen uh, in the secondary group. But even so, it's it's something that only ever lasts ten seconds tops. Yeah, you want to see some fight, right? Now, you don't want to see anybody get injured or people, you know, swinging helmets or something crazy like that. But um, anyway, I, I think that's a good thing. They're trying to get physical, man, more physical. A lot of people asking on the text line, hey, uh, I've seen a commitment from Seth Gamble. Any info on him? Uh, I saw that on Twitter, too. I have no info on him. Allegedly, he is a running back from Georgia. What I know for a fact is he's not a scholarship guy. Preferred so, walk-on guy? PWO, if that is legit. What about Danny Marlborough? Where did he end up going? <laughs> well, um, 
I think we, he's class of 2024, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He is class of 2024. So he's still got a year to decide. He hasn't committed yet. He dropped the top 10 a couple of weeks back. There you go. Uh, by the way, uh, from the 405, Bobby, it's Black Sabbath. Phonetically, you were spot on. You know, it may be paranoid. Play paranoid Black Sabbath. I know we, I think we just played it, but see if you can play that into the break. Is that what you're looking for there, Bobby? This one? Black, that's that's a great Black Sabbath album. The the album is Paranoid and the song is Paranoid. And you've got Iron Man on there. You have War Pigs on there. But we are thinking, Bobby and Austin, that it's Paranoid by Black Sabbath. And you can't go wrong with that album. That's really good. All right. We got to get out of here for hour number one. Hour number two, a lot more suitor conversation, a lot more texts. On the way, and a conversation with one of our favorites, T.J. Eckert, KTUL-TV in Tulsa. All on the way, right here on The Ref. Stay here. All right, let's dive right in to hour number two, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car or truck. And again, a great guarantee after the sale. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. So thanks to the uh, Seth Wadley Auto Group for uh, sponsorship here on hour number two, Steelman and Thune on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. So LaDamian Washington is the interim receivers coach for the Sooners. Uh, here is Brent Vittables uh, yesterday talking about Oklahoma moving forward now with LaDamian Washington in that position. I'll be honest, this issue aside, you know, uh, Oklahoma program with Gail Gundy, is stronger than one without him. and uh, But I couldn't be more excited about uh, Damian Washington and the opportunity <clears throat> that he has with these guys this season. Um, he's already had incredible relationships um, built with these guys and trust, a really deep understanding of who they are as young men, certainly their skill sets and their strengths and weaknesses, things like that. He's incredibly bright and smart, uh, articulate, but he is um he's he's got deep trust with these guys and uh, when i announced to the team that um on an interim basis however long that is uh that he would be um stepping in uh to to help us out there be, be the receivers coach the players were excited for him and this opportunity there you go and he's going to get a little assistance from matt wells and nick basquin as well that's right. I didn't. So I'd seen Nick Basquin hanging around the facilities and just like around the program in general. I didn't know he was on staff until yesterday when Brent Venables just casually dropped that little nugget. Yeah, Matt Wells be helping, and so will Nick Basquin. So uh, Norman's own Nick Basquin, former walk on, uh, one of the very few that played six seasons in a University of Oklahoma uniform. I don't know if we could come up with an exhaustive list of six-season guys if we tried, but it's got to be a pretty short list. Right? Caleb Jason, Kelly, everybody Jason White. Jason White, Caleb Kelly are the two that immediately spring to mind, Brian Mead, uh, and then, of course, Nick Basquin. A.D. Miller as well. But was the he, list, he was a six-year guy? I believe Didn't so. Didn't A.D. Miller go through the portal yes. and came back through the portal? He double-portaled. He doubled up on his portal trip. He came back. So, uh, yeah, so what are your thoughts on uh, LaDamian Washington? You out there, you've watched a little bit of practice, and uh, obviously 
huge shoes to fill. Kale, you know, one of the thing about Kale is Kale. I did he have almost every job there was on the offensive side of the football besides the offensive line guy. I mean, Kale did a bunch of stuff. I mean, wherever he was needed, whenever he was needed. Uh, Kale Gundy was going to do the job, and then he was going to go do a great job on the recruiting trail. But Bobby from Austin, by the way, uh, looks like he has his tune now, Paranoid from Black Sabbath. There but you go. What now, about LaDamian Washington? I, now, I will say this, just to tack on to what you mentioned about Gundy and his variegated role uh, within the staff. I don't. One thing I don't know if we've talked about enough is the impact that it could have on special teams. Because Gundy was obviously very heavily involved in They're actually teams. coaching special teams and they now, are right? actually they really, coaching special teams Isn't now. that like the third phase of the game? Shouldn't you pay that some attention? And uh, Muleshoe, uh, did he even know what special teams were? Mr. Squib, Squib Kick in Pasadena? I mean, Shane Beamer was there, right? And then they kind of disappeared after that. Now, A lot of people felt. Yeah, now, as as you think about what Gundy leaves behind in terms of his role with the program, I don't know if we've talked nearly enough about the impact that it could have for special teams, and this is why you know, one of the things we did talk about right off the bat on Monday was this is part of why you build a cast of thousands on your coaching staff the way that Venables and this program did in the offseason is because if something like this happens – you have a guy that you're ready to plug in that can be your positional coach in a moment of need. That was LaDamian Washington in this instance because of who it was that was involved in said incident. And so now he steps in and coaches the receivers. Last last year, if this happens, Mike, and I mentioned this before, last year, if this happens, there's no easy answer as to who's coaching receivers in Kale Gundy's absence. There's also no easy answer as to who is providing any semblance of guidance as far as special teams beyond Joe John Finley. Now, what you have at Oklahoma is you have two guys in Finley and Hall that have experience with special teams, and also you brought in another off-field guy in Jay Nunes from Eastern Michigan that has had quite a hand in special teams coordination as well. So this had the opportunity, if it were to have occurred in 2021, to really torpedo Oklahoma's play on special teams. Now... I'm not sure that's going to be the case as much so as it would have been in years past because of the way that the Sooners have kind of shored up and cribbed everything regarding their operation of special teams and the way that they coach mm-hmm. it. So they've got uh, – and I think it's great because you've seen this at Bama. You've seen it at other schools as well. I think Clemson had a bunch of consultants also. But uh, in the, the Blue Bloods who were you know, serious about – super serious about football this is kind of the way they construct their staffs now but do they have like a separate cafeteria over there for like the consultants only cafeteria or what because there are a bunch of extra bodies there and i think it's great like i said when matt wells came on as a consultant i'm like that's big time right there i mean that's a guy that was an fbs power five Absolutely. head coach at this time last year and now he's basically your second string guy with wide receivers that, I mean, again, that's that's a great situation uh, for Oklahoma. Not a lot of programs could go and bring on a guy like Matt Wells with his background and his resume for a role like this. It's, that, that was Oklahoma flexing his muscles. This is a good one from the Air Comfort Solutions uh, text line 913. Do you guys think we see offensive and defensive starters playing on special teams more frequently with this staff? Because back in the day with Bob Stoops' teams, you saw a lot of, of really good frontline players 
playing on special teams. Yeah, you heard the story of what, you know, initially when Brent came back and he and Bob were together and Teddy was talking about, you know, the time that uh, the punt was blocked at K-State and what it was like for Teddy trying to run back to the – he said, man, that was the longest trip back to the sidelines ever because it was Bob, Mike, and Brent all giving him the business on his way back. But what do you think? More front-line players on special teams? I think you'll at the very least see more scholarship guys on Mm -hmm. special teams because – in years past, you look back to 2021 in particular, sure, you would see some scholarship guys and some pretty dang good football players involved with special teams, and that wasn't just limited to the returners, i.e. Billy Bowman, DJ Graham, uh, but also the guys that would go and block for him, guys like Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis, etc. cetera. Uh, Danny Stutzman was a constant presence on the kick coverage team. But you'd also have guys like Colt Atkinson and Jake McCoy mixed in and that's no knock on those guys but there are football players on that roster that are far more capable of getting down the field faster and hitting harder than those types of players there's a reason why those types of players didn't ever see the field in a meaningful game situation at Oklahoma and so I would figure that now that you're starting to see Oklahoma take special teams more seriously under Brent Venables than they did under the former head coach yeah yeah, you will see a unit that is comprised of guys that are recognizable. Yeah, and absolutely, man. Uh, that is the third phase of football. I mean, that, in close games, special teams can get you beats. Now, when you're playing UTEP or Kent State, you, you could probably have a special teams disaster and still win the game pretty handily. You go to Lincoln, and I'm not saying the Huskers are some world beater, but they're going to be fired up for Oklahoma. You go to the Cotton Bowl. You know, it, it can be a disaster. And speaking of last year, how about right off the bat, Xavier Worthy, first play from scrimmage, then the punt block. I think Oklahoma fans are starting to think, yeah, this this is this could be a long day. I also think special teams is going to provide a really outstanding opportunity for some of the younger guys to shine. Yeah, for I some agree. of the younger guys to make their mark. Because you think about it, special teams it, relative to the rest of football is pretty easy to grasp, right? You have kick return, you have kick coverage. You have punt return, you have punt coverage, and then you have your place-kicking unit. That is special teams, right? And so you don't necessarily need to have a comprehensive grasp on the entirety of the playbook to be able to go out there and compete on special teams. If you can run, for example, when you're talking about kick coverage, if you know your lane, you know your assignment, you can run down the field fast, hit hard, and not allow your lane to yield a giant hole for the returner to run through, then you can play special teams effectively. And the Sooners have a lot of those guys in that freshman class in particular that I can see making an impact in that type of role, whether that's somebody like Jaron Canick or Danny Stutzman, or not Danny Stutzman, excuse me, but Robert Spears Jennings, uh, or even somebody like Gavin Freeman, honestly, who is... Good reports there. Sure, he's a walk-on, but he's not your average walk-on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, 405-651-3439. That is the Air Comfort Solutions text line here on the program. Uh, send us your text. We'll try and get as many uh, in as we can. So keep them coming, 405-651-3439. All right, real quick, Steelman, I got this off uh, Twitter. Besides uh, Nebraska, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and K-State at home, what is the most challenging game the Sooners will face other than those five? 
Okay, so Nebraska, K-State, not included. Texas, not included. Oklahoma State and Baylor, not included. Well, you have to go to Ames. You have to go to Morgantown. You have to go to Tech. You have to go to Fort Worth. You basically just took half the season off. Well, more than half the season because you know the answer is not going to be UTEP or Kent State. Yeah. So I would say it's probably TCU and Fort Worth because that comes right in the heart of what should be a very difficult stretch for Oklahoma. You go to Nebraska on the 17th come home for Kansas State on the 24th, head right back out to Fort Worth to play TCU at Amon G. Carter Stadium on October 1st, and then the next week you got Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is going to be interesting. Uh, and uh, what are we thinking, that uh, Chandler Morris is going to win that job, or you think Max Duggan will be the guy? Uh, my money, if you put a gun to my head here, my money is on Chandler Morris. I'm a big Chandler Morris guy. The dude lit up a Dave Aranda defense. Didn't he have like 700 total yards, both running and throwing against Dave Aranda and Baylor last year? That was one of the most surprising games of the year, that Chandler Morris came in there and just absolutely lit them up. All right, we'll take a break right here, and uh, good to have you along here on a Thursday. I'm Mike Steely along with Parker Thune. we got our man Micah in there, a tremendous intern who is doing world-class things behind the scenes. Isn't he? Of course. Yes, All our is. interns do. That's right. They do. Okay. Uh, man, I, I was watching Trainwreck, the story of Woodstock 99 on uh, Netflix last weekend. Saw way too much of Flea on stage. Way too much. The dude, he was... B-A-N. You can figure it out. But blank naked. I was like, really? Okay. I I mean, I knew they wear a, they wore a sock one time. I knew that, but this was way too much. All right. He was giving it away, let me tell you. We'll be right back here on The Ref. Uh, the big, booming drums of John Bonham. Zeppelin IV, The Ruins album. Could be the greatest rock and roll album of all time. When the levee breaks, great song. All right, welcome back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, uh, the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network here on a Thursday. All right, uh, we have talked about wide receiver, and we talked about LaDamian Washington, the group he has, headed up by Marvin Mims, again, who is in line. He is a star uh, if they use him right. And I think Marvin Mims is going to have a great season. Uh, Jalil Farouk has a chance to have a breakthrough year. We know that uh, Drake Stoops is still around. Good possession receiver, tough kid. He's done a lot. Theo Weiss, if he can have a injury-free season, he's a former five-star who could have another breakout season. But what about these two transfers, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton and Jesse Hester? Do you expect both? J.J. Hester. Did I? What did I say? Jesse. Oh, Jesse. Uh, yeah, my bad. Um, what do you expect among those two? Is is there one that you favor to get more playing time? I guess Hester's a bigger kid uh, than Shelton, but Shelton was very productive at Arizona State. He was, and I I think it more so just depends on who either breaks out or slips up in front of them because L.V. Bunkley-Shelton is more your traditional slot type of guy. All right, a little bit of a more diminutive body, five foot eleven. Hester's a big dude, 6'4", 196. So you take a look at what Oklahoma's going to be rolling out there in the starting lineup, 
You got Mims, who's probably the most complete wide receiver on the team. Theo Weiss and Jalil Farouk, two guys with both size and speed that can get down the field and win you jump balls. I tend to believe that the Sooners aren't going to have any choice but to roll with J.J. Hester and Jaden Gibson at some point, particularly in the red zone. I feel like those guys are going to force Jayden their Gibson, way to Jaden Gibson, 6'5", right? They're just so large. Yeah. They're incredibly large human beings. And so those are two guys that are worth having in your arsenal, especially when you get down inside the opponent's 20. For L.V. Bunkley Shelton, my concern with him, and it has nothing to do with him, but it has to do with the guy who's in front of him and Drake Stoops. Drake Stoops has firmly established himself as the guy in the slot for Oklahoma. It's going to take a lot for L.V. Bunkley Shelton to supplant him, and obviously Stoops is not going to take 100% of the snaps in the slot. But it does make you wonder if Stoops is doing his thing, if he's playing the same type of ball that he played in 2020 and 2021 for Oklahoma, contributing as a blocker, contributing as a pass catcher, Moving the chains on third down. How much of a role does that leave L.V. Bunkley-Shelton? I'm more inclined to believe that that's the type of guy that really breaks out in 2023 more so than 2022. Now, I'm a big fan of his skills. I think he will certainly have a role in this offense. But one of the issues, and it's something we keep talking about with these wide receivers, is there are only so many balls to go around. Dylan Gabriel can only throw it so many times every game it's kind of the same problem if it is a problem it's a great problem to have honestly but it's the same thing that the Sooners ran into last year with that crop of receivers there were so many talented guys in that room that some of them got shuffled out some of them got a lot less of a slice of the action than they realistically should have now the mistake that Jeff Lebby's not going to make this year that Muleshoe did last year was Jeff Lebby's going to feed the ball to Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims is going to get a lot of targets. And like I said, he is the clear number one option. Yeah, That, that is that not a question in anyone's do? mind. You're yes. supposed to feed your best running back to football more than anybody else. You're supposed to go to your best wide receiver more than anybody else. And I realize opposing defenses are going to try and take Marvin Mims away. That's when you get creative, but, you you know, sometimes it's not about the play design. What was it, you know, talking about it's not the play in a big moment, it's the player. Correct. Who makes the play. And you saw that with Marvin Mims. There's no better example than the catch he made to not up the game with Texas in the Cotton Bowl last October. Here is where I stand. Last year, you look at the production for Oklahoma's receivers across the board. The Sooners had five players with at least 30 catches and none with more than 40. So, Muleshoe spread the ball out to a fault. There was too much spreading of the wealth. It was a, it was wide receiver socialism. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of gets an equal share. It can't be that way. Right, if you have a guy like Marvin Mims, he is on the field as much as humanly possible. If you have a guy like Theo Weiss, he is on the field as much as humanly possible. So, If you're going to earn significant snaps in this offense at Oklahoma in the year of our Lord 2022, you're going to have to be, quite clearly, one of the four best wide receivers on that depth chart. Three of those guys to me right now are Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, Jalil Farouk. Drake Stoops, simply because of his physical limitations, is probably more susceptible to getting nudged out for that fourth spot than the other three. 
but I think he's easily number four right now as things stand. So whoever it is, whoever emerges in that receiver room alongside Mims, Farouk, Weiss, and Stoops, they're going to have to earn it. What about H-back tight end? What are you thinking there? You'll see a lot of Braden Willis. And talking to Joe John Finley at length last week, he is very, very high on Braden Willis. And I think the most exciting part of the dynamic this year in Oklahoma's tight end room and what gets Finley himself the most excited is that Willis now gets an opportunity to be the guy. And he's never gotten to be the guy before because of the presence of Lee Morris and then Austin Stogner. All right, so Willis has always been second fiddle. He's not second fiddle to anybody this year. He's going to be your starter. I think you will see a lot of Daniel Parker, though, as well. And it makes me wonder how much of a role is left for the two true freshmen and Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn, both of whom are outstanding football players. But Willis and Parker are both entering their fifth year of college football. Uh, Willis, to me, is the most complete package at the tight end position among the guys that are in that group right now. Parker especially in situations where the Sooners want to pound the rock. They want to run the football. I hear he's a beast he's get a, a blocker. I, I mean, that's his reputation. I know coming to Oklahoma, but nothing, uh, you know, has taken away from that at all. I hear he's been unbelievable. But, and I, I, I think I mentioned it yesterday, too. I was told last week uh, by somebody very close to the program, pound for pound, he might be the strongest football player in that locker room, which is saying a lot because there are some really stout dudes in that locker room. Yeah, and uh, those who didn't look quite as stout back in the day are looking stout now. And uh, who is the prime example of that? Is it Billy Bowman more than anybody else? Or I, I'm hearing there are a lot of guys like, man, he looks different. I That's would say Jerry Billy, Schmidt. Billy Bowman is very obviously in that conversation. We've talked about that for weeks. You can see it. You can see it in just the way he carries himself, uh, the way his arms and – his calves look when you see these guys in pads and shorts. You just look at what you can see of Billy Bowman. You're like, oh, this dude is so much more physically developed than he was a year ago at this time. Uh, I think Jordan Kelly is another one of those guys that has made huge strides. Clayton Smith has as well, and we talked about him quite a bit yesterday. That's a guy that has moved in the right direction from a physical standpoint. Uh, is there anybody I'm forgetting here? I feel like Billy Bowman really is the poster child, though. Well, Jerry Schmidt, results, uh, you know, you can see the results. And, uh, you know, Sooner fans are hoping to see those results also on the field, uh, you know, come the first game of the season against UTEP and uh, just see a more physical football team. The Oklahoma fans have been praying and hoping and waiting to see a tougher, more physical football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, hopefully you'll see some of those results this season for the Sooners. I think you will. All right, break time right here. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 in Paul's Valley for a great deal on a car, truck, or an SUV. Mike Steely, Parker Thune with you right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. We're coming right back with T.J. Eckert next. All right, we are with T.J. Eckert, KTUL-TV, joining us on the Riverwind Casino Hotline, 405-329-9000. That's 405-329-9000. T.J., welcome. Appreciate your time. Man, the the past five days or so have been crazy, right? I mean, we've, we've gone through some craziness here 
you know, since the end of the Bedlam game last year, and uh, things get crazy again with this Kale Gundy uh, situation, what came out late uh, Sunday night. What's your take on, you know, what happened and how things have, uh, you know, gone since then? Man, it's been a, yeah, crazy is a good way to describe it, whirlwind. Um, I think I put on my social media last night when I left Norman, hopefully the next time I come down to Norman I can talk more about football than what I got to talk about yesterday. So, yeah, it's been crazy. Um, Really, really sad and and shocking news to see on Sunday night. I think we were all shocked. I I saw you and Parker both posting about it uh, whenever it came out, as I did, and we we're all just really surprised, and I think, I think people were maybe a little surprised too yesterday, Steely, at, at how the press conference went with with Brent Venables not acknowledging it. I mean, kind of in passing, saying you know we we acknowledge it happened. We we miss we're going to miss Coach Gunny. We're not as strong as uh, we are when he's here, uh, but he didn't want to answer any questions about. it. I think people were maybe a little surprised by that. So uh, it's just been yeah, it's been a weird week, and um, I, I think as much as Venables and the current Sooner program would like to, to move on from it. Uh, maybe they can somewhat within the walls, but, you know, the media circulates this thing over and over again. It's just going to stick around for a while. So, uh, yeah, it was really surprising. Uh, yesterday was, was a little surprising how it was handled, but um, it appears everybody's trying to move on as best they can. Now, on the topic of how it was handled, TJ, are you surprised that we haven't heard from Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione and or President Joseph hmm. Harris? It's a great point because they're normally so vocal and outspoken and out in front of these things, and it kind of it kind of looks like it was just left to let Brent Venables handle it, at least out in the open in the public eye. You know, who knows how involved Harris and Castiglione were uh, inside the walls and, and how much of a say they had on the resignation and how much of it uh, forced or not forced. I don't know, but who knows how much of a hand they had in that? But that's a great point because they're normally two people who are very outspoken and vocal and. And, and pride themselves on, on hitting, hitting things up front and being out in front of the news and stuff like that. And to not hear from them is a little surprising, especially now that it's, I won't say it's kind of subsided. It, it, it kind of has, and, and they tried to do their best to do that yesterday. So kind of surprised that they haven't kind of maybe even backed up what Venables has said in his statements and, 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 and stood with him on those things. So, yeah, the fact they haven't said anything makes you wonder – how much they actually said behind closed doors when this happened. TJ Eckerd with us here on the program, joining us on the Riverwind Casino Hotline. Uh, answer a question uh, for me because we had uh, Patrick on our text line uh, last hour say, you know, this this has felt like the longest offseason ever. The Bedlam game feels like it was like two years ago. And I said it's felt that way for me, too. And Parker is on the other side. He thinks it's flown by. Where, where are you on that? Has this been the longest offseason ever, or has that not been the case for you? You know, I kind of go back and forth. I, I feel like, you know, how, how many days was it from when uh, Riley left to when Venables was hired? Was it like 10 days, 8, 9, 10 days, somewhere there? I can't remember the exact number. That felt like an eternity. Like, that felt like a really long time because we kept hearing different rumors about who's coming in. You know, we heard we heard rumors about why he left. We heard all sorts of things, and it just felt like we were stuck in this circle that never ended for what well, felt like a month and a half. But in reality, it ended up. I can't begin. Maybe it was two weeks. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it it felt like it was forever. But as far as once we once the calendars flipped and we've kind of gotten uh, the winter conditioning and spring ball and all that's kind of gotten going, it feels like things have been 
normal. I wouldn't say that they've gone fast or slow. I just feel like it's been somewhat of a normal offseason. And maybe that's because this is kind of the first one, Steely, that's been normal, right? With COVID the past couple of years, things have been a little different in terms of our access as media. Um, it feels like things are a little bit more normal. I mean, yesterday we got to shoot practice for 40 minutes. Like, that that's not normal. Normally we get, like, 12 minutes and we're hustled out of there. I felt like I was hanging out. I feel like I got a sunburn yesterday. That's how long I was out there. So uh, I think that things are kind of back to what they normally would be in terms of a speed process, although I will say the early part of the offseason was very slow. Okay, TJ. Now, moving ahead here, I'm just going to open mm. the floor to you. I'm not going to try to take any particular angle here, but having been out there at practice, uh, what stands out to you, whether that's an individual, a group, the overall feel? Uh, what's been your biggest takeaway from practice sessions open to the media thus far? It's a great question, and there's a lot of different things that you can point out. Uh, for, for me, I think a lot of people have, have talked about the impact of Schmitty being here and, and the workouts and all those things. A lot of guys look different, just point blank, from what they looked like last year. I know that's a year of growth and another year in a college weight program. I mean, like guys like Key Lawrence and guys like Billy Bowman and, and these guys, and there's, the list kind of goes on and on with guys who've kind of transformed their bodies. Dudes were looking big, and they looked physical, and they were, they were a, a demanding presence on the practice field. That's something I noticed just from being down there yesterday. Something I noticed kind of in my head, and I kind of laughed about it, because I was at the spring game, and I was at a couple spring practices, so I knew what he looked like already. But just seeing Dylan Gabriel again yesterday reminds me of just – this inability is a bad word, but this maybe consistency of OU not having tall quarterbacks. When was the last tall quarterback OU truly had? Like a guy that was like considered tall. Jalen Hurts was maybe what? Landry Jones, one? maybe? Yeah. What was I mean, Landry? Blake Bell. Blake, well, Blake Bell, yeah. Blake Bell okay. was like 6'5", right? Yeah. I mean, you think you got Baker, you got Kyler, you got, like I said, Jalen's an average height, and then Dylan Gabriel's not tall either, so... Not that it's a bad thing. It's just something I, I thought of when I was on the field yesterday. Like, man, when was the last time OU had a tall starting quarterback? thought that was interesting. Well, the battle for the backups, man. You might have Davis Bevels like 6'5 or 6'6, six, six, and I think yeah. General Booty's <laughs> like 6'3, right? No, Booty's yeah, actually – Booty's only six feet tall. Is he really? I yeah, thought yeah, he was Bevel bigger than is the that. one that stands out. General have we – General Booty's six feet. More. Yeah, you're right. You guys are around there more than I am. Is is General? Where did that name come from? Is there a story on that name? So this, as the story goes, TJ, uh, his father Abram Booty, who played wide receiver at LSU back okay. in the day, grew up with this infatuation f- with the Civil War, and I guess he had it in his head from an early age that he was going to name one of his sons General. Uh, and that's uh, it. Boils down to that. Like that's okay. that's how he got the name. Wow. General Booty's wearing number fourteen too, right? Yeah, Josh Heupel's old number. All right, I'm yeah. looking at the OU football roster. They list General Booty at six two, and they list oh, really? Bevel at six six. So six two Booty, and six uh, six for Bevel. Here's 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 what I'll tell you is is on the roster at UCO. It's, it might still be there. You have to go back pretty far because I'm old now. But I think I was like 6'1", 203, and I was all of 5'11", 190. So, if that tells you anything. So, there was some embellishment there is what you're saying. Yeah, you absolutely, know. yeah. All right, uh, before we let you go, I always like to ask you a golf question because you're a golf uh, nerd like I am. Yeah. Where, where's this all headed now with, with Lib and the PGA Tour? You had the 
the TROs denied for guys like Taylor Gooch, but we also know that Cameron Smith, uh, who won at St. Andrews, obviously, last major of the year, one of the best players in the world. He's headed to live golf. Uh, we've got others, Matsuyama, uh, you know, looking like he's going. Cameron Young again. You may say, Cameron Young, well, he's one of the top ten players in the world. Probably going to be headed again to live golf. What do you think uh, is is going to be the end result of all this, and, and how long will it take to play out, in your opinion? Yeah, so it sounds like the actual, the big trial between the between Live itself and the PGA Tour isn't until next summer, like August 2023, September 2023. That's the big one. You know, this this one that we just had with Gooch, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones trying to get in the FedEx Cup, honestly kind of felt like a formality at first. I mean, because, you know, proving the grounds for a TRO isn't that, that big of a deal, and they weren't able to do that. And so that was a win for the PGA Tour. But going forward, I think we talked about it maybe last week or a couple weeks ago. When the FedEx Cup ends, there's really nothing that's holding a bunch of guys back from going over to live because there's no big tournaments. you got the President's Cup, which tries to be the Ryder Cup, but it's not as big of a deal. I think players are hoping that by the time the Ryder Cup rolls around next year that things are calmed down between the two sides and that there's some sort of merger, some sort of agreement between the two. Um, so I'm still of the opinion that there's still going to be a big influx of guys go to live with the hopes that by the time the big events roll around next year, including the majors, there's some sort of agreement in place. And so that's kind of what I think. I think right now there's just so much animosity towards each other that they're not going to work together, but here's hoping that they do. I did see the video, I don't know if you saw it or not, of uh, Scotty Scheffler stepping in Cam Smith's line today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a little message being sent right there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I don't know. I I have a feeling that uh, Jay Monahan may not survive this, though. I don't in, think so. In the long run, the PGA Tour Commissioner. I agree. All right. Hey, TJ, always good catching up with you. Thank you. Yep, Parker Steely. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. TJ Eckert, KTUL-TV in Tulsa. The Sooners in Nebraska, September 17th in Lincoln. You can win one of five trips they're giving away to the Oklahoma-Nebraska game by involving yourself in the Battle of the Big Reds promotion right now at Riverwind Casino. Get out there. Play with your wild card. Play all those electronic games. Get points. I mean, add up as many as you can. When they tabulate the top five patrons point-wise, August 14th, if you're one of those, you can win a trip to see the Sooners play the Huskers in Lincoln with uh, travel, accommodations, obviously tickets to the game, worth nearly $2,500, and they're also going to give you $1,000 in cash. That's a heck of a promotion from our friends at Riverwind Casino. The Battle of the Big Reds promotion. Get out there, use that wild card, play as many electronic games as you can, and get those points on your card. Be right back. It is the home of Sooner fans. Mike Steely, Parker Thune here on the Ref Radio Network. All right, back with you, Mike Steely, Parker Thune. We're getting uh, locked in coming up at uh, the top of the hour with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas and the rush at 3 o'clock here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network on a Thursday. Off of Twitter, Steelman Parker, if you could travel back in time and change the outcome of one Sooner football game, what would it be? Well, for me, I would go back, and you you probably, if you're younger, you think of, uh, you know, maybe the LSU game or SC, you know, national championship games. But I would go back to 1978 Lincoln, Nebraska, 
uh, with the Sooners lose to the Huskers. Jim Pillen. Jim Pillen recovers Billy Sims fumble. I know, Bill, Billy, if you're listening, I know you didn't have all the fumbles. There were other people who fumbled too. I get it. Billy gets a little upset because, you know, there were other fumbles also. But I believe that Oklahoma team wins the national championship if they win that game in Lincoln. And it was just one of those days. Again, they were driving to go score. And uh, it was just one of those days. I still remember Jim Pillen, that little runt uh, defensive back. And, by the way, the Sooners, um, <clears throat> pardon me, they uh, they handled Nebraska easily in the rematch in the Orange Bowl, which was Nebraska's worst nightmare because Nebraska was in line to win the league championship. And then they lost to Missouri the next week. So the Orange Bowl decided, you know what? We should have a rematch. Oklahoma-Nebraska, let's do it again. And like I said, if you can find the video on YouTube when Tom Osborne and Bob Devaney, former Husker coach who was then the athletic director, are sitting there and they get the call, you know, that your opponent will be the University of Oklahoma. It looks like a still photograph. They're like, seriously? We finally broke through and beat these guys? First time since, what, 71, and you're going to make us play them again? So I would go uh, OU Nebraska 1978. If you're my age, the answer is the Rose Bowl. Yeah. That's the only answer. You feel like that game should have gone in the win column. Yeah. And I could I could go with USC in 2005. or Yeah, 2005. I could go with the LSU game in January 2004, but – for me, it's the Rose Bowl. It almost has to be that, or the uh, I guess the other acceptable answer is the national championship game against Florida. But that Rose, Rose Bowl, man, that just stinks because that was the window for Oklahoma. Alabama was down. There were questions. There was no team that year that was head and shoulders above the rest. And it seemed like the way Oklahoma was playing late in that season, they had the best shot to go and win it all. I don't question that if they emerge victorious in the Rose Bowl, if Muleshoe has the gall to go for it on fourth and one with the most prolific offense in college football in overtime, then they win the national championship over Alabama the next week. I, they would have had a good shot. And think about the uh, status that Baker Mayfield holds in OU lore right now. I mean, he's right now he's the most popular Sooner of all time. And that's saying a lot when you consider Boz and – you know, the Selman brothers and Little Joe and all the Heisman winners, Billy Sims, Steve Owens, Billy Vessels. I mean, uh, Kyler, obviously Jason Whites. Uh, that that says a lot. But imagine if Baker, you know, also had a national championship on his resume. He would probably never be surprised. We're talking about the, the greatest. favorite sooner. Yeah, we're talking about the greatest college football quarterback of all time probably at that point. At least of the modern era. He's in the conversation, no doubt. He's already it. in the conversation right now. You yeah. put a ring on his finger. Oh, yeah, That's, absolutely. Yeah. Doug and Norman Steely, what about the Notre Dame game that ended our 47-game winning streak? How many more? Well, good, good one going back in time there, Doug. But, yes, Dick Lynch scored the winning touchdown for Notre Dame, and the uh, winning streak came to an end, right? Here Dick Lynch, in Norman, That's Oklahoma. A name. Yeah, that was the guy who scored the winning touchdown. For Notre Dame, that's a good one uh, to bring up there, Doug. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, uh, for some people, you know, I don't know how many people are alive that were at that game, but, yes, that was that was a historical uh, game, no question. Back to the text line. From the 405, this listener asks, Guys, I'm struggling a bit to try to figure out why everyone is so high on K-State. Is it an upgraded quarterback? Yes. 
Is the running back really good? Yes. Other than that, this is an average team with below average talent at best. Can and will they pull off an upset or two? Yes, but I guarantee you that will not be a Norman. Oh, you will obliterate Kansas State this year. You know, look, that's the hope, isn't it? That Oklahoma obliterates Kansas State, but I categorically disagree with that premise. I think Kansas State is a very talented football team, and that's not just limited to the quarterback or the running back. I'll use the example on the defensive side of the ball. They've got an NFL caliber cornerback in Julius Brents, all six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds of him. They've got a guy that is going to be a very high draft pick one day in Felix Andrew DK Uzoma, who's one of the most disruptive edge rushers in the entire country. Make no mistake, this is a talented football team. That is the reason why they're getting so much buzz. It's not just because of Adrian Martinez. It's not just because of the Deuce Vaughn factor. It's because all around, this is a football program that is a lot more talented than they have been in probably a decade. And usually well coached, too. Always welcome. I'm looking at uh, eight and four, maybe for K State, maybe seven and five. A lot depends on that Missouri game they play in week two, but they're hosting Missouri in week two. So uh, yeah, I think you know if they do pull a, a big upset, you know maybe they could go nine and three. Well, I, w- I would say that would be the best. But I'd, you know what? The word I like obliterates. That's a great word. That is a good word. You never you want to be the obliterator. You don't want to be obliterated because that just sounds worse than just about any other kind of butt-kicking you can take when you get obliterated. I think Kansas State has the potential to be, in 2022, what Baylor was in 2021 and what Iowa State was in 2020. Meaning that I think they have double-digit win potential. I think they can play in Arlington. And I think they're going to be right there all season. You won't really realize they're there until the very end when they vault into the picture as a contender for the Big 12 title. 682 says, oh, you did a good job of uh, making K-State look good during the Mule Shoe era. Somebody said, somebody said, how about the way underrated Kansas team that ended a long streak at home? What year would that have been? Uh, that was 75, and I think the Sooners had won a tied, I believe, twenty was it 28 or 31 in a row? And, and that was the day where the Sooners fumbled that one away too, and uh, KU won that game. In I was watching Twitter highlights the other day. Uh, and there was a highlight circulating of the 2007 Kansas Jayhawks. And it was the game where they poured 69 points on Nebraska. And that stadium, Cavisto Field in Lawrence, was sold out. I was like, is this real life? Am I watching? Was this you had the- a 1-2 BCS matchup between KU and Missouri, right? Yeah. I mean. How wild is that to think yeah. about? Yeah. Todd Reesing against Chase Daniel. All right, we got to get out of here. We got to get locked in. That's coming up next. Everybody have a great Thursday. We'll see you.